You're on with Barbara. Hey, 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 it's me, Barbara Corcoran, and this is 888-BARBARA. That's right, it's time to answer all your burning questions. From the boardroom to the bedroom, nothing is off limits. So listen up for some advice on how to live your best life. Each week, I'll be answering all your burning questions, and sometimes I'll be asking them too, interviewing some of the greatest folks I know to learn the secrets of their success so I can share them with you. A few weeks ago, I spoke with master podcaster, business coach, and entrepreneur, Jenna Kutcher. On her podcast, I'm sure you've all heard of it, Gold Digger. What a great name. I got to find out why she thought of that name to begin with. I was blown away by her style as well as her content. She was kind of for me a female version of Guy Raz. That's what I kept thinking. I couldn't shake the idea. You know Guy Raz from the podcast, How I Built This. But this lady somehow seemed even stronger than him, which I never thought I'd hear myself say. But after we spoke, I knew I had to have her here in 88 Barbara to get her knowledge that she could share with all of us. Let's get right down there. Jenna, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? Oh, well, I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. I know you're also going to stay with us for a few minutes and answer some of the questions that I get on 888-BARBARA. And this is a first for me. I'm always alone in my studio answering all the questions. So you're going to help me do the heavy lifting. I can't wait to see if that really works out. You're the best person oh, to try I'm it out. Ready. Okay. <laughs> so Jenna, your business got started famously with buying a camera on Craigslist and you built it into the huge podcast business that it is, as well as all of the other things that have sprung from the podcast with over a million subscribers. Uh, tell me that story so that other people can enjoy it. Yeah. So I was 23 years old. I was fresh out of college and I had this vision for my life. I'm sure you've had a similar vision at some point in your life, Barbara, where my vision of success looked totally different than it does today. So at the time, my vision of success looked like a business suit and high heels in a corner corporate office. And I actually got a job with a large corporation and I very quickly realized in my windowless office that it just wasn't the right fit for me. And I think I just had this realization of like, was I born to just punch this time clock and live and die mm. paycheck to paycheck? And it was it was almost gut wrenching because I grew up in a very traditional Midwestern family. And once you have a salary and benefits, like what a blessing you would be ridiculous to throw that away. <laughs> and so I felt this kind of call, this little whisper of like, there's more, there's more to life than this. And that call came through a $300 Craigslist camera. And people always laugh because it's such a well-known story about me at this point, but I'm so proud of it because I bought this camera just for the heck of it. But with that camera, I found passion again. Mm. And it's kind of crazy because I never took an art class. I never thought I'd become a photographer. But my camera kind of became this vehicle to get me out of that windowless office. And so I started a wedding photography business with zero experience, but I had been a bride myself. And so I was taking all of my experiences as a bride and creating these offers that I knew brides wanted. Like they wanted to feel seen and heard. They wanted someone to be excited about what they were doing. They wanted someone who understood the wedding world and what it was like to be a bride. And so 
I booked 25 weddings my first year, matched my salary from my corporate job and was able to put in my notice. And so that started just this love of entrepreneurship. And over the last eight years, my business has changed so much. I loved the wedding photography world, but I realized really quickly that I was trading time for money. And we actually had quite a struggle in starting our family. And it was when I had to shoot a wedding, when I knew I was miscarrying, Mm. that I realized I had built something that couldn't run without me and I'd made a massive mistake. Mm. It wasn't scalable. It relied on me and people only wanted me. And so that was when I really started to understand the power of a brand versus a business, which I know we're going to talk about today, and started to create these different revenue streams so that if at any day I woke up and said, I can't show up for this or I don't want to show up for this, that my life wouldn't change and my business wouldn't crumble. And Mm. so today we have seven different revenue streams from our podcast to doing Instagram influencer to having rental properties to running a shop and selling educational resources and all of these different things that I'm all so excited about. But it's definitely been a long process and there's been a lot of growing pains along the way. all starting with your simple curiosity. Let me get a camera and see if I can take a good picture. Crazy, (laughs) right? Right, exactly. And I think a lot of times we pursue these initial passions, but they lead us down the wrong paths Mm. and we forget what it feels like to be excited again. Like how many people listening today feel like they could just jump out of their bed and they were just so excited to get to work. And I feel like a lot of times we're so busy glorifying this hustle mentality that we forget about like, what does it feel to just come alive and be excited to do what you're about to do? Mm. And so lacking in so many people's lives that they almost think that that's the way life is. I want to ask you a little detailed question because when you were telling your story about pitching the bride, okay, okay, I get it. You were a bride. Okay, that's some experience. But how did you come off (laughs) on that limited experience pitching brides? I'm a great photographer. Hire me for your wedding. I know how careful brides are when it comes to their wedding dates. They're one shot at being Cinderella. How did you come off with the nerve to even pitch it with that limited experience and what made them buy in? I don't get it. Yeah. I have discovered over the years what my true gift is. And my true gift is reverse engineering results. When I became a wedding photographer, it was exactly around the time that Pinterest became a thing. Mm. I would study wedding photography day and night and I would look at a shot and I would imagine, okay, what did that photographer say to get that couple into that moment? Mm. And how did they coach people to have these real authentic raw moments in front of a camera? Because we all know getting photographed is so incredibly awkward, right? I actually had a very natural gift. I have this eye for visuals. Like my brand is so visual and it's something I'm still so, so passionate about. I have to say, like I did have a gift when it came to photography, but my true gift was in giving people what they wanted. And I never actually felt like a true artist. I think a lot of photographers and creative entrepreneurs, they feel this artistic vision and passion. But for me, it was all about delivering people what they wanted. And the way I did that was through reverse engineering and figuring out what do brides want? What are those shots that they have to get and how can I make that happen for them? So I photographed a few friends' weddings for free or for just a few hundred dollars and put them up like I had shot a hundred weddings. And so I just was very good at marketing. You're, you're and great at bullshit. What do you mean marketing? Right? Don't, call it, don't call it that. <laughs> 
I love it. Okay, so in our interview on Gold Digger, you spoke about something you called authentic marketing. It sounds like a fancy term, but you just yeah. demystified the term reverse engineering for me on your wedding story. Now I get it, really. Yeah. But what's yeah. authentic marketing, really? What exactly is that? How could you put it in terms of what a new young entrepreneur could understand and use for themselves? One of the things that I've realized these days is that authenticity is getting confused with airing your dirty laundry out into the world in this attempt to be perceived as a real person, mm. right? Like we see people oversharing aspects of their lives every day and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you posted that. And that's their attempt to be hashtag authentic. Mm. And what I've realized is that there is this desire for connection. Every time somebody opens up their phone, it's because something in their world is lacking. They want to feel seen, heard, understood, not alone. They want a solution to a problem that they're having. And so what I think authentic marketing means to me is showing up in whatever season of life you're in, in the truest sense of the form. And that doesn't mean that you can't maintain a level of privacy or that you need to share all the behind the scenes garbage of your life. But what it does mean is that you have to show up with this intention of connection, a lot of times we look at our lives and we're like, I am so boring. Why would anyone care about me eating macaroni and cheese for lunch? But the things that make us boring are usually the things that actually make us relatable and they make people feel like, oh gosh, yeah, I just made my kid mac and cheese too because I'm so busy or overwhelmed. Authentic marketing to me, in my sense of the world, is just keeping it real in this filtered world that we're living in and just showing up in whatever form we're in with the attempt to connect with somebody else. Okay, that makes good sense. But how do you walk that line? Like, I want to be authentically seen. What's totally off the table you should never go to and what's acceptable and truly authentic? Give me two good examples that happened to you with some of the people you counsel or your own business within the last couple of days. I think the line is different for every single person, as it should be. We're all different breathing humans. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what I think is so interesting is when I meet people that follow me online and I meet them in real life, they're like, I feel like I know you. <laughs> and it's beautiful because we actually maintain a really high level of privacy in our life, especially as new parents. Like my privacy is very important to me. So there are different things in my world that I'm comfortable talking about, like miscarriage. It's something that so many women face and not many talk about. And I chose to publicly share that because I really wanted women to feel less alone in that struggle. I also talk about things like body image. I've struggled with body image, especially when we went through our fertility struggles. And those are really personal things. But guess what? I'm not monetizing those avenues of my life, but they matter to me. Those are my passion projects. Those are the things that I feel called to share with the world, whether I make a dime on them or not. But then there are aspects of my life that I'm totally private. My marriage, while we share bits and pieces of it, is very private. My parenting to my daughter is very private. I always just ask myself, would I feel comfortable sharing this with a stranger on an airplane? Or is this just something that needs to be kept for me and me alone? Mm. That level is going to look different for everyone. And I think that you and your gut know what's right in which season you're in. If you feel comfortable sharing about some of those more personal matters, or if you just want a brand that connects on trivial things things like pumpkin spice lattes or cozy sweaters or whatever. There's no shade or no wrong option. You just have to pick what's best for you.
when I heard you sharing about the miscarriage that you had, yeah, I thought that was probably one of the most personal things in the world. I know I went through a years of in vitro before I gave birth to my firstborn. Thank God yeah. it worked out, had a happy ending after seven long years. But if I was on a plane with a stranger, I can't even imagine saying, oh, are you trying to get pregnant? How many? Oh, well, I had a miscarriage. I had seven of them, actually, and blah, blah, blah. It seems like the most intimate kind of information, more intimate than complaining about my husband in a marriage, which I do regularly. <laughs> but you didn't find that intimate to share. That's shocking to me. I think... I don't know any other woman that would publicly talk about that as freely as you have. You have my yeah. adoration, but you didn't hesitate on anything like that. We had been married for eight years. Mm -hmm. And so we were always constantly getting asked when we were going to have kids. And we didn't want to have children for a solid five years. Mm. Like we just were like, I love our freedom. We love our time. We love the flexibility. And then all of a sudden we had this desire to grow our family. And I felt just this calling. There's no other way to describe mm. it to share that and to give that life meaning. With the intent to give other women hope, was that your desire? Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't a matter of venting yes. my problems, but you no, should be hopeful. No, Look what no, I did. No. You could do it too kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Especially in such a Me Too positive movement. I wanted to see Me Too in a light of like support. And it's so crazy because mm. we actually had two miscarriages back to back and we shared about both of them. And even to this day, like you said, you can't imagine sharing that with somebody on an airplane. For me, when I'm holding my daughter on a plane and somebody asks me if that's my first, mm. there's this part of me that wants to say she's actually my third. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like so hard to navigate and me sharing that really opened up other women to talk about it mm. or to have a safe space to talk about it. And now I just feel like my daughter is this little beacon of hope in like <laughs> a, a world that had felt so dark for yes. us. So it is kind of a crazy thing, but I'm so thankful that we did go public with that information. And what did you learn from that journey? What would you say was your life lesson? Man, I learned so much, but the biggest lesson I learned is that a lot of times we're in these seasons of waiting, whether it's to start your family, to start your business, to get married, to grow your career. And a lot of times we're tempted to just sit and wait, mm. right? But there is so much work to be done in those seasons. And sometimes that season is just as important as what it is that you're waiting for. When I first got pregnant, I was still shooting tons of weddings. And I remember we were in Hawaii. I found out I was pregnant and I was like, I'm going to have to cancel on these brides. How am I going to navigate breastfeeding and, and being a wedding photographer and all these things? So that was our first shift. And what happened in the three years that it took for us to start our family is that I worked so hard to build a business that gives me true freedom. Mm. Like I wake up every day and I make a decision. I could retire today at the age of 31, or I could continue to do the work I feel called to do. And I am so thankful that I didn't just sit in that season of waiting and wait, but that I worked through that and built this life mm. that now that we have our daughter, it's been the best year of my life because I've worked part-time and she's home with me. And I I get to do all the things that I dreamt of doing as a mother while also running this massive company, which is so amazing. But you've planned for it and you deserve that. My gosh. Yes. Do you know when I was building my Corcoran Group, the brokerage firm that I spent a good 25 years building, even though I had no intention of having children, when I was about 27, one of the reasons I hired at 27, my first 
full-time administrator to help me out was I thought I have to replace myself one day to have a Mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. So what do I need in this business to replace myself? And piece by piece by piece over the years, I replaced myself. With every talent I had, I had somebody that did it better. And I really credit the desire to have a family with half the reason I built the business in the first place. But little did I know I was going to have an unhappy ending. And I just built that (laughs) office next to my new office. Each time we moved to larger quarters, I built a beautiful office, an extra one where I could put the baby crib. That baby crib (laughs) went in there for one day when Tommy was born. Out it went. I'm like, I can't focus on (laughs) two things at once, right? Right. But there's something else you talk a lot about that I credit you with having great bravery to just speak about as though you're talking about what you're having for dinner. And you talk constantly about overcoming insecurity, particularly in the form of replacing the old tape that runs in your head, as you like to say. I've maybe Mm -hmm. misquoted you a bit. But how does someone really do that when the tape is so ingrained and so quick to come to mind and so quick to give you excuses why you shouldn't do something differently? How do you get rid of that? How long does it take? I want to also say one other thing. You don't sound to me like you ever had a bad tape. You sound so positive. <laughs> but did you have a bad tape? And from that space, is that how you're able to teach other people how to do it? Yeah, it's exactly as you say. I call it your inner mean girl. And man, she is fierce. She is relentless. I have absolutely struggled with that inner dialogue. And It's one of those things, especially when I went through miscarriage, it was just so closely tied to that because I felt like I failed to do the one thing I was created to Mm. do. I can tackle business things. I can figure out marketing. But like if I can't hold on to a pregnancy, then something is broken within me. And that's how I felt at the time. Bad I share a ton about insecurity because we as women, especially now where I'm playing at this level where I'm invited to have a seat at the table with powerful men. And men never apologize for being too loud or too much or too enough. Like they show up like Mm -hmm. that. And we're over here like, hi, hi, I'm here. Like notice (laughs) me. And I have just been really challenged in this season of life to really listen to my own advice. A lot of times us teachers, we need the things that we're teaching more than anyone else. Like we're talking to ourselves. When I had my daughter and I looked at her and I was like, oh my goodness, you are so perfect. I can't imagine a more perfect being. I'm a Christian. My relationship is with the Lord. I think God looks at me and he holds me like that. And he says, you were perfectly created and formed and you were made for a time like this. And how am I to question that? I often have to listen to the narrative in my head, the the things that are telling me I can't do this or I'm not enough or I'm not doing enough or I'm not a good mom or not a great wife and reroute those thoughts. And Brene Brown has this really amazing documentary on Netflix. And in it, she talks about an argument with her husband. They started approaching arguments with the story I'm telling myself right now is. And a lot of times when I have those negative thoughts, I have to say, The story I'm telling myself is I'm not worthy of this success because I'm overweight or the story I'm telling myself right now is that I'm not a good mom because I'm working on this business. Once I start to rewire those thoughts, I start to really say like, no, I'm not failing. Like I'm doing the best I can and I'm showing up and I'm worthy of the success I've earned and I'm capable of doing more. 
And so I just see so much with women these days, especially with Photoshop and filters and, and all of this like perfection showing up online that we're craving real. Like we want to see cellulite and we want to know that people have wrinkles and we want to see that because when we don't see that reflected within others, we look at ourselves like we're broken. And I never want another woman to feel broken. Mm. Do you think women by their very nature, Jenna, hit on themselves a little bit harder, have more of those negative tapes quite naturally? Naturally, the men do, or are they just willing to talk about it? I think we absolutely do. I think we have so many conversations going on in our head and men probably don't have as many because they can't multitask like we can, right? I think that we just always want to be the best. And as women, we're innately people pleasers. And the last person that we usually try to please is ourselves. Mm. And so we're always giving ourselves this badge of honor when we're busy. But a lot of times we're too afraid to be silent with ourselves because we don't want to face what would come up if we were. But Jenna, how does a woman put the breaks on immediately or even recognize what the negative self-talk is going on in her head? Is it just a matter of mind over matter? Like, oh no, I'm talking bad to myself. I'm going to replace and tell myself, yeah, you're the best. You're amazing. You're amazing. I'm always suspect for that kind of easy talk. Like how easy, what, how do you actually do that? Let's say I'm just lacking confidence, which so many people in life lack confidence. I'm not going to try it. They wouldn't accept me. I couldn't do it. They, uh, it's not going to go over well. How do you start to draw the line in the sand and actually mean it rather than accolades, yeah. false accolades on yourself? How do you actually change that? Is it a mind game or is it an action game? I agree with you. I think a lot of the information out there is like fooey, where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to say three things I'm grateful for and suddenly my life is going to be sunshine mm, again. You know, I think that all of those things are beautiful and all of those practices can absolutely transform things. But if you're in the thick of it, it's really hard work. And one of the things that I think is getting confused is that loving yourself or having that confidence or having those great inner dialogues, you have this idea that it's this destination, right? Like you get there and then it's just easy. But for me, it's a choice every single day. What has worked for me, and it it might not work for everyone, but is replacing my thoughts. So I have strong muscular arms. I used to work out a ton and I would hate my arms. I would just look at them. And now because they were too muscular or they were too skinny. No, they're too muscular. I want muscular they were, arms. they didn't fit in Ooh. coats well. And now I look at them and I'm like, these arms like hold my child. So I've just started to replace those thoughts mm. or I look at my soft belly and I'm like, this held a miracle. Like there's so much where you can focus on the bad or you can see the good. It just took a lot of redirecting. So I would see something that I didn't like in myself and then change that thought process. You know, these legs have carried me for miles. These legs have hiked a mountain. You do start to believe yourself. It's kind of crazy. You start to believe yourself. And I think that's really beautiful. How long does it take you to turn your thoughts around on that? Is it a matter of six months, six years? What happens there? Six seconds. Six seconds. That's it? (laughs) Oh my God. Today, you cannot stop me. Today, I I am someone who believes anything is possible. The sky is the limit. You give me a negative thought and I'll flip it on so quickly. It takes work. But the thing is, is do you want to go through life seeing the bad or seeing the good? Because Mm. whatever you look for, you're going to see, right? That's a decision that you have to make every single day. And I wake up and some days I suck at making that decision. Like, let's be honest, we're all human. But most days I wake up and I see the possibility. And for me, the possibility is so captivating that I have to run towards it. 
I just had a discussion with a man who, instead of pursuing possibility, he's running away from past failures. He's inspired to continue to move and grow and learn because he wants to get away from who he was in the past. Mm. And for me, that picture doesn't work. I want to run towards something new. I want to see what's possible. I want to break those barriers. There are two different types of people, and you really have to identify which one are you. Are you running away from something or are you running towards something? Because that's going to help you to really understand where are my thoughts leading? me? Is it because I'm afraid of going backwards or is it because I'm inspired by what's ahead of mm, me? I'd rather pick option B any day of the week. Me too. I want to ask you about listening, if you don't mind. I found after I spoke with you that day that you are undoubtedly one of the best listeners I've ever met. You just listen. And even though you say so little, I feel like when you're listening to someone you're interviewing, you're locked on. And I feel like every one of my words are precious. I don't know why the same old words that I say any other day of the week, but you have a way of doing that. What about listening? Is this coming naturally to you? And can someone who doesn't think of themselves as a good listener learn to do it? Were you always that way? Oh, I was a terrible listener, Barbara. I have a hard time (laughs) believing that. I don't want to even say this, but if anyone went back to my early episodes of my podcast, I was on a mission to prove that I was the smartest person in the room. Uh, And that's really humbling to admit because I felt like I had something to prove. And over time, I've really learned that time is our currency. Barbara, when you agreed to come on my show, you were giving me your time, which was so important to me. So I have absolutely become a better listener. And a lot of that actually comes with trusting in our ability to listen and then follow through with that conversation. And I don't know if you've ever felt this, especially as a podcaster, is a lot of times you show up to an episode and you have a list of questions and you don't want to miss one and they're all important, but the conversation kind of goes different directions. And if you don't trust in your ability as a human being to connect, then it's so easy to just derail the interview within two seconds, Mm. you know? So I have definitely come a long way and I still have a long way to go, but I think I just value people's time so much these days. And I'm really, really thankful that that came across. Do you actually go into an interview situation now that you know better with a list of questions or do you throw out one and follow it by how well you're listening to ask other questions. I'm curious about your methodology because I want to copy it. Yeah. So we'll start with the main story because we want to just have our guests paint this picture, but then we usually have five questions. Mm. And my goal of my podcast is to walk away with a tangible takeaway. Mm. Like you can apply this tip and see results. There is a lot of steering involved in that because we want to make sure that guests get to that really good secret sauce that they Mm. want to share with people. But at the same point, too, if you cut off questions that were leading to somewhere beautiful, man, what a disservice to your guests and what a disservice to your audience. Yeah, it's definitely an acquired skill. And what I think is beautiful is thinking of you and I, Barbara, nobody taught us how to become a host. I'm still working on it. We're works in progress. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And if we go all the way back to question one about authentic marketing, it's going before you're ready. It's leading people imperfectly. Like my Instagram profile says imperfectly leading women because I don't have all the answers and I don't have the solutions, but authentically showing up means showing up when we're not ready yet, just going and leading the charge. Okay. Well, I'm going to use your great brains and know-how in helping some of my listeners with their problems. But before we move on to that, I just want to ask you for one takeaway. Let's say someone knows they're not a good listener. Let's say my husband, Bill. What's (laughs) one thing you can do 
to become a good listener. Tomorrow, I'm going to learn how to listen better. This is what you should do. What's that? Go. Dear Bill. Dear this is Jenna. Bill. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so my mom is one of the most mindful people I've ever met. She actually takes mindfulness courses every single year to just remind her of how to be present. Wow. And I think nowadays it's so easy for us to have our brain be in a million different places. If we have our phone in our hand, we're likely in a million different places. One thing that my husband and I do, and we're not perfect at it, but it's definitely helped us is when we have been apart, whether it's for a few hours or the day, when we come together, we have five minutes of uninterrupted time to ask how was your day and to listen without providing feedback or any extra information. Wow. I read this once and I don't remember who said it, but it was marriage advice where it was like, just ask your spouse, how was your day? And just listen without the intent to get to a point mm. or to serve anything. And then after that, we stopped talking about work. That's been a really big gift for us because especially when you run your own business, it's really tempting to have your brain be running 24 seven and to always be thinking about work. Mm. And so when I just invite him into that little piece of my life so that he understands and knows what's going on without any extra information, mm. it really helps us connect on that level and just to feel heard and understood, which I think is the ultimate goal in wow, life. Wow, what great marriage advice. And you know what you just made me realize? What? I think at home, I'm not the listener. Because my husband yeah. will sit and listen to me and I'll yak, yak, yak. But the minute he's talking, my <laughs> brain's out the door. A lot of stuff I got to do. Got to go. So whether my body's there or not, I'm not listening. So maybe I should take in the advice and forget about trying to take it on home to old Bill who's sitting at home waiting for it. <laughs> we love you, Bill. He'll drive me nuts, but we love him <laughs> like crazy. Okay. So yes. the first call is a guy named Thomas. I'm going to let you hear his question because hearing the actual voice is uh, very useful. And you, I want you to chime in. I wouldn't even mind you leading my answer. What do you think about that? Let's do Here it. Here comes Thomas. Your question was, what's getting in your way? And I think the biggest thing that's getting in my way in my sales position as a real estate agent and also just in life in general is my own lack of self-confidence. I try to present myself in such a way where I'm, you know, confident, outgoing, but I am more of an introverted person. And I think people tend to pick up more on the introverted side of me and they view that as like a lack of confidence. I've kind of struggled a bit with my sales because people pick up on that kind of lack of confidence, I think. It's been difficult for me to be able to advance in a sales career and like I said just in my life in general cuz I think I said in my message, once you've been told something so many times, you start to believe it. And I've been told by so many people that I just don't seem very confident in myself. But what do you think, Thomas? Let me start right there. I guess you've been doing sales for a few years or are you new to the business? I've been doing sales uh, as a real estate agent for the last three years. Okay, long enough to know better or long enough to know you're in love with it, one or the other. But my first question to you is, do you think you lack confidence yourself? Forget about what people are telling. Did you come into the field thinking you lack confidence as an individual? I think I do. I try really hard to overcome my anxieties, my fears and stuff like that. So I can portray myself as a confident person. I guess I'm struggling on the execution and mm. that kind of insecurity is coming through. Well, if you want to go into any business in the world, and then I would like to hear Jenna's first impression. Here's my first impression. I'll give it to you. But if you want to go into any business in the world that's going to bring out 
any insecurity that you have in any part of your body by God going to real estate sales because it's a business of rejections. You get like probably 30 rejections for every one yes, and then sometimes the yeses also turn into no's. It's an aggressive business. If you think you're going to real estate sales and be a nice person, just a nice person and do fine, you might eke out a living, but you'll never be a great salesperson. What you need front and foremost in real estate sales is not even confidence, I would say. I would say it's aggression. It's a hunting position. It's not like, let me help you decorate the apartment. That's for the decorators. It's about, let me get that apartment for you and let me nail down that price, okay? And that can come across as lack of confidence. But I wonder myself on first impression, Thomas, if you're mixing up self-images here, I think perhaps you're not an aggressive person by your nature. But I'm going to challenge that a little bit about your confidence. I'll come back to that in a minute. Jenna, what do you think? What's your sizing up of him? Thomas, I'm curious, how would you describe failure? Like, what are you most afraid of right now in this season of your life? How would I describe failure? Yeah. Worst thing that could happen to me personally or just in business? Everything in this season. Yeah. In the season? In the season of your life. I work hard to try and provide for my family. And for me, if I'm not able to get sales, um, advance in my career at all, I'm not able to provide. And I think for me, that's the biggest failure that I could go through. So I think when you were talking, I feel like you have this pressure on yourself that is only put on by you. And I see this so often from entrepreneurs that we carry this weight of the world and this sense of urgency that's only inflicted by us. What I would challenge you to do is to go home and write down If your biggest failure happened, write down that scenario today. And then I would love for you to create an action plan. So let's say real estate sales doesn't pan out. What are you good at? What are you capable in? Because when you let fear lead you, the fear of being not enough, the fear of being too shy, the fear of being not aggressive enough to make it, when you let that lead you, people can smell that from a mile away. If you can come up with an action plan around your greatest fear so that you feel confident showing up every day, knowing that that fear isn't controlling you or driving you, I think that would be the first thing. The second thing is, is that being an introvert is not a negative. And I think a lot of times people look at these top CEOs, people see people like Barbara and me, and they think that we're extroverts. And I don't know about you, Barbara, but I'm an introvert as well. I got over it. Yes. A lot of times we think of introversion showing up as shyness or meekness, but a lot of the top CEOs in the world are actually introverts. And a lot of customers and clients are introverted too. I don't want you to look at your introversion, or maybe if you're a little more soft-spoken as a negative thing, if you can find the right people, the right clients, for you that want to work with you, you are going to connect on a whole different way than if they had some sort of pushy salesman. So I want for you to see the things that set you apart as your gifts and not your weaknesses. And the last thing I want to say is that nobody is thinking about you as much as you are thinking about yourself. If somebody once told you that you're not confident enough or that you're not showing up in the right way, that person moved on with their life. They probably don't even realize that they said that to you and that it stuck with you and that it's kind of scarred you if we're being honest. So I want to free you from the criticism of everyone else. Everyone is so head down in their own lives and businesses. Nobody's thinking about you. And that's kind of a freeing thing to go off of. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's a lot of good stuff, Thomas. May I ask you something? Yeah. What else would you do if you were in real estate sales? You must have had that thought before. I'm actually having those thoughts right now. 
What's on your list? I don't mean committed to, just like what's wandering in your head like, gee, I wonder if I could do this. I wonder if I'd be good at such and such. What would that list look like? I've always been interested in doing medicine of some kind. But again, going back to my lack of confidence, I didn't think that I'd be able to handle school. So I kind of pushed that aside and just tried to find career paths that wouldn't require school. Could you now succeed in a school that taught you a specific medical task? You're talking about going back to medical school and becoming a doctor, or you want to go into the medical space and be involved in that type of business? Kind of more the medical space. I'm looking into doing a radiologic technologist position. Mm. It's a two-year program, and I kind of wanted to start small Mm -hmm. there to kind of prove to myself that I can do it. And then if I wanted to advance from there, I'll come to that road when I reach it. You know what I think you need to do is that you need to prove to yourself that you're capable of following through. Mm-hmm. I feel like you need to pick something small, whether it's a business thing or a, an online course or a diet or something, and just prove to yourself that you're capable of following through on something and build up your confidence again, that you will not let yourself and others down. Because I feel like you're coming from a place that's scarred from past mistakes or past times that you didn't actually follow through. And I feel like you just need to hear like you are forgiven and like, let's move forward. And you just got to slowly build that confidence muscle by proving to yourself that you're capable of doing those things that you really want to do. Okay. I want to add something to that. If I could very bluntly, Mm -hmm. if you don't mind my saying, Thomas, don't spend another minute selling real estate. You're way overdue to move on. Nothing wrong with trying it out. But you don't try Mm -hmm. out something for three years and not enjoy it. It's a waste of three whole years of your life, all for the right motivation and provide for your family. But it hasn't panned out. Okay. I would say when you first uttered your first word, I turned to my producer here when you said I'm a real estate agent. And I said to him with my lips, he sounds like a nurse. (laughs) You know what came across to me? is not a lack of confidence whatsoever, a lack of aggressiveness. I heard the tone and feel and heart of someone who enjoys helping someone. What's mm-hmm. better than being a nurse or radiologist? Someone who can make a real difference in someone's life, not through great hustle, but great service. We're all meant to be different things. I'm going to just tell you one last thing because I know we're overstepping everyone's time here, but I have to share this with you. My very first husband, Dale, was the most loving, wonderful man of my life. We didn't stay married for long, not to take away from him, really. I think it was more my stuff, okay? But he was an advertising executive from California, from business school, and wasted three whole years In the advertising business, and from the day I met him, I said, you should be a minister, you should be a minister, you should be a minister. (laughs) You know what he did? He went out and became a minister 12 years after I left him. But you know why? (laughs) He wasn't an aggressor. Advertising, New York City, bing, bang, no. The beauty of this man was he was a great listener and he was kind, you know. So he tapped into his essence and he's phenomenally successful. That's all you need. You need to go... 190 degrees to the left and do something Mm -hmm. that answers to your calling, which is you're a lovely guy. You got to share that with people, not hustle them into homes and talk them into this and that. No, 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 not you. So we both gave you, I think, the same advice in different words. But if I hear your name associated with real estate out there (laughs) in St. George, Utah, I'm going to come after you myself. I'm going to hit you with a big stick. 
get the heck out of there and sign up for that course. Okay. okay. Will do. <laughs> You're a great guy. I'm sure you'll Thank have a great you so life. Much. Okay, bye-bye. Um, my question was basically a two-part. So I'm always concerned about marketing. It's not as easy as people would think it is, specifically when you're running your own business. And the second part is, what do you guys do to get over that hurdle of basically fear? Because I've been through this before. I've had my own business. I know the ups and downs. I get it. But I'm almost more afraid of success than failure. Mm -hmm. Success means truly life-changing. Failure is just, okay, well, I'll just pick myself up and try again. You know, I can go. I'll leave it, Barbara. You good? So I was speaking at a women's conference two years ago, and I asked the audience, "How many of you are afraid of failure?" And almost every hand went up. And then I said, "And how many of you are afraid of success?" And almost every single hand stayed up. And I think that as women, we're afraid of truly becoming what we were meant to become, because that means that if we do fail, it's more public. People are going to see it. They're going to judge us. They're going to talk about it. And that thought of that is just really, really paralyzing. When I think about, Gilda, what you do as a cake artist and struggling to market yourself, I want to ask you first, do you have a brand or do you have a business? I had a business and a brand. And you're using past tense. I'm wondering why that is. Yeah. Because it was more with the bakery. This new business that I'm doing now is separate from it because I sold the bakery and moved on. But with the bakery, we did have a brand. We were known. People liked our product. They loved our product. But with this new business, it's just a baby. So there's really nothing right now. It's just me. Maybe take a minute to describe your new business for us. Sure. It is a cake kit business but it's scratch cake mixes. So we know that there's a market for vegan, there's a market for gluten-free, organic, et cetera, but I never really see anything that's simply scratch. Also, I've always had customers wanting to make my cakes at home. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I wanted to help people who want to bake from scratch, but are a little bit concerned about it because it, it can be a little bit tedious. <laughs> you have to buy all the things and whatever. So I wanted to make it easy for them. So I created this cake kit which comes with the cake mix, the buttercream mix. It comes with an offset spatula, which is something most people probably don't have in their drawers, a kid's apron just to make it fun. So it comes with different items that you would need, you know, um, the scrapers, all those things. And along with it comes a YouTube channel link, which I'm still working on, that shows you how to make the product and it shows you how to decorate the product like a pro and make it easier and more accessible. Along with so, that, I'm oh, also making cake mixes separate from the kit. Well, you're a great marketer. I mean, you just explained it really well to us. So I'm getting curious as to why are you afraid to market yourself? I'm just having trouble gaining attention from the media, especially. I always feel that if the media says it's good, it's automatically credible. It's true. But did the media build your old business, the bakery that you sold, by saying that was credible? Is that why you were successful? No, absolutely not, because I didn't get any media attention. Mm. <laughs> that was me going to the street fairs and grinding. So why are you not doing that now with the new business? I'm wondering why they change in operation, change of style, change of philosophy. Yeah, because that business was more of a hands-on. People got to get the product made already, eat it, and it had the baked goods have like a three-day shelf life. Mm. Whereas this product is more, I'm leaning more towards an online. And that's not to say that I won't do street fairs and market it in that way, like I did before. Again, this is in the super duper baby stages. I so have I a lot of thoughts. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Shoot. Okay. Gilda, Please go. 
<laughs> one of the things that happens, especially with entrepreneurs who are launching their second, third, fourth endeavor, is they forget what it's like to bootstrap something. You forget that hunger that is necessary to get a business up and running. And you had that. You went through all of those seasons of hustle and you've forgotten what that was like and all of the energy and passion and dedication it took for you to actually grow something that was wonderful. A lot of times when we start our second business, we've forgotten what that season felt like. And now we're kind of lazy. You have to get back in the trenches. It is not about media. Screw media. It is about connecting one by one. There is so much power in each and every single customer customer. You have to get back in the trenches, get into those DMs, make sure you're talking to people online, make sure you're personally following up with customers, asking for feedback, getting testimonials. A lot of times I see this happening where it's like we've, we're so far removed from those early days that we forget all the work and time and energy it took. And if you're going to start something from scratch, you better be ready to get back in the trenches again. And I know you're capable of doing that because you've done it before. When I think of you marketing yourself, I think you have to let go of the masses and focus on your message reaching one person at a time in order to grow this thing into something awesome. Yeah, I think that's where I'm, I'm leaning more toward like the mass selling yeah. and I'm not really digging into like the one by one testimonials. I have so many because the store was open for three years and I did custom cakes from home for four years before that. So that part's done, but I, I see what you're saying. I'm too focused on getting media and getting the mass attention rather than, you know, grassroots. Hilda, I want to ask a couple of questions if I may. Okay. Yeah. With your new product, have people told you they want it? Have you tested, brought it out to the people on the street? I've brought it out to past clients and some people on the street. I won't say like hundreds. I actually had a shop in the mall. And so I would ask questions as far as, would you like to have scratch made mixes to make this yourself at home? And a lot of times the answers were yes. Mm -hmm. Other times, of course, people just want it made. Of course. And done. I would think the average <laughs> person coming into the bakery wants to take home a cake versus take home the work yes. of making one. But when you were asking yes. those questions, which ironically, it's in a way almost the wrong person to ask. You're asking the ready-made market if they want custom work, right? And they have to do it. I was probably asking more like the moms with the kids, because for me, I think the cake kit is quality time to spend with your kid making something great. So those are the people that I would tend to ask. And they would usually say, yeah, I think that's a great mommy and me mm. time. But people saying, yeah, great idea. Yeah, I'm interested is vastly different than coming, finding you online. That's uh, right. Ordering the product, <laughs> reordering the product, liking the pieces of the product. May I ask you, how much money did you invest in this new scratch cake mix concept? How much have you spent to date? So far, not much. Probably, I would say maybe $2,000. Not so bad at all. And how much time have you spent no. on it? How long have you been working on it? I've spent a lot of time what, on it. What, a month, two years? What's been happening? Well, it was. I probably came up with the idea about a year ago. I shelved it. I did pitch it to HSN. I wasn't ready for that yet. Mm. We moved. I sold the bakery, blah, blah, blah. And now I probably spent a solid three months on it while working full time. Okay. I'm going to suggest a rather drastic move. I would give it another month and call it quits. 
Okay, maybe that sounds rough for this reason. Put everything you have in you into it for, well, maybe two more months, right? Two more months. Push like crazy. Get out in the street. Actually take advance orders. Even if you don't have all the pieces of the product ready, and it sounds to me it's got quite a few pieces, right? And interesting, but nonetheless complicated. Much more complicated than which flavor cake would you like to buy today? Vastly different with all these moving parts, okay? So let's say you give it two months, you get it out there. Actually ask people, do you want to place an order? It comes in carrot cake. It comes in red velvet, blah, 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 blah. Actually take the orders. You'll be my first advance orders. How many cake mixes would you want? Blah, blah, blah. See if you get any traction, okay? I fear it's too complicated. Honest to God. I swear as a business person, and I'm the last person to say, hey, don't try something. But I am a firm believer in limiting the try, you know? You just might be looking yeah. to fill in the void, of the baby you just sold. It's a hard transition when you sell a business you've poured yourself into, and then all of a sudden you're by yourself. So you might be off on your targeting here, but there's only one person I can tell you that, and that's the people who will actually write a check and give you the advance orders. And all you need for that is you don't need the product. You just need a happy picture of the whole thing and all the pieces and a price. And I bet you don't even know what it's going to sell for. And then it might be worthwhile building an online business. But until you get that feedback, I think you're crazy going down that road much longer than two months. Yeah, I did all the costing and I know the price point and everything. So it, when you look at it on paper, it looks great. It's like a 50% margin, which is wonderful. But it is a little bit complicated. You know, months take time because I'm sourcing and I'm figuring all that it's out. It's a pain so in the neck, saying. Hilda. The sourcing mm -hmm. is a monster. It is a monster. <laughs> and you remember, once after you source, you still have to do it again and again and again. Okay, you're going to get feedback and changes to that. Okay, I'm going to just give you two months. I want to hear back if you make a go of it. Is there anything you want to say? Last second, Jenna, to our excellent cake maker no. here going down her road. I think if you believe in it, you want to just make sure that there is people that are willing to exchange money. Cause I think a lot of the times their biggest downfall is everyone says they're interested in it until you ask them awesome. to pull out their wallet. So right. money speaks. And I think that would be just that affirmation. If you can find 20 people who are interested in it, then you can find 2000. But if you don't have those first heads that give you that vote of confidence, then it's going to be a long road. Agree. Yeah, that's a thousand percent true. People say, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And then yeah. when it's time to pay. Well, there you have two oh, big IQ people weighing in on your new idea. Let us know how you do. Thank Good luck, you. Hilda. Okay. Right, thanks. So we've had a wonderful time here with Jenna Kutcher, podcaster, business coach, and entrepreneur, and of course, the person behind the brand Gold Digger. Have you enjoyed answering the questions with us today, Jenna? You're smarter than me. I'll never invite you on again. I don't want to be outshone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. You have just been such an inspiration to me. I'm so excited by our friendship. I think we need to do more things together because we are two peas in a well, pod. Well, you're right, but you're sure. not coming on my podcast anymore. I don't want anybody <laughs> looking smarter than me. Uh-uh. I'm not that confident. <laughs> but good for you. Oh, podcast you so business much. coach and entrepreneur, Jenna Kutcher. And I'm so happy you joined us today, Jenna. Thank you. Thank you. And I guess that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Let us know your thoughts. Think I got it right? Think I got it wrong? Have an idea for a great guest? Just tweet me at Barbara Corcoran using the hashtag 888Barbara. And keep those questions coming in to the 888Barbara hotline. You can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be coy. Leave a review for the show at Apple Podcasts and keep the party going on. We'll see you next time.
888 Barber is produced by Sandy Smolens for Audiation. And Lila Mann is our executive producer. Audiation.